Hi, Alex here, and welcome to Jack's Viral Podcast. We've got loads for you in this episode. There's politicians, students, charities, and cocktails. What's not to love? First up, we've got a campaign that was started in Oxford three weeks ago and is now being replicated in 17 countries. Students Against Corona helps people with things like shopping and dog walking during the lockdown. Emma Cohen found out more. My name is Frederick Fields. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of Students Against Corona. Um, we are an organisation that uh, student-led initiative to help those in need uh, during these difficult times. Uh, we started ar- around three weeks ago, and right now we're in about 30 cities across, I think, 17 countries uh, in six continents. So it's grown quite quickly, um, and we've completed, I think, over four or 5,000 jobs now. It all sounds really exciting then. How have you kind of um, kept up with that demand or how has it actually grown into all those cities? Well, we're seeing is that in the UK, there were already so many community health groups and they were just constantly reinventing the wheel. So what we thought is we'll just create an overarching brand and we'll use that to kind of pull our resources together globally. So that helps us. So for example, uh, we developed our own uh, hygiene recommendation for volunteers. Um, and we obviously couldn't be doing that if we were just a single community health group. And it also helps in terms of negotiation with local governments or with news agencies or simply as simple as, uh, you know, getting an email template. Um, it will already have been done for you and it's just in a shared uh, database for everybody to use. And I think that really appealed to people. And I think there's also just a huge wave of students that now have spare time and really want to help out. Uh, and we've just had an overwhelmingly positive response from them. So it, it actually has been kind of growing from it by itself. So what kind of things then are you actually doing in the community? So it's very different per country. So, for example, in Oxford, we're mainly focused on helping people with little tasks, like doing grocery shopping, walking their dogs, picking up their, uh, their pharmaceuticals. Um, in countries like India or Nigeria, the focus is much more on fighting misinformation. Um, and then in places like Vienna and Berlin, it's much more about helping local businesses. So it really depends. Um, we try to make it as custom to the community. Uh, and just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for us to decide on a strategy na- internationally and then apply that everywhere. Every hub is an independent entity. They function by themselves. And they try to do whatever is best for their own community and try and figure out what the biggest problem there is. And then they try to solve that with a large volume of volunteers. Why do you think students are important during this pandemic? Um, Great question. Um, So students are very important because they, I mean, purely from from a medical perspective. So, So they're the least likely to be infected. And if they're infected, they're the least likely to be affected by it. Um. So that makes them a, a really great demographic to uh, volunteer. And, you know, on top of that, uh, this, this, whole, this whole thing has been especially disruptive to students um, who are much more used to living in close quarters with each other and are now all advised to send, be sent home all across the world. Um, so a lot of them, they're, they're really looking for something to do with the time that has now opened up. Are you still looking for volunteers? So... Yes, um, locally in Oxford, uh, to, to go a little bit more local, we are still looking for volunteers. So uh, anybody who wants to sign up, they can go to studentsagainstcorona.co.uk 
and they can really easily sign up there. But I think the focus over the last two weeks has really been to try and find people who need help. Um, so if anyone uh, knows somebody that needs help or requires help themselves, they can give us the call on 077-47-106667 or and the numbers on the website, or they can simply also go to studentsagainstcorona.co.uk. And uh, yeah, we just want all of Oxford to know that we're out there. So actually, today we're starting a four-day or five-day marathon of uh, flyer deliveries. We've already distributed about 10,000, uh, obviously with all the necessary hygiene precautions. Uh, and now we're going to do another 20,000 in these five days just to make sure that we get to every single house in Oxford and make sure that everybody in Oxford has knows that there's help out there for them. Frederick there on how something started in Oxford is now helping people all over the world. Next up is Oxford East MP Annalise Dodds. She's just been appointed by new Labour boss Sir Keir Starmer as the Shadow Chancellor. Our reporter Emma Cohen spoke to her. Well, I'm obviously really delighted to have been appointed. Um, I really enjoyed working as a Shadow Treasury Minister before, so it's terrific to be able to continue that work. And obviously I was really delighted when Keir Starmer was elected as the leader of the Labour Party, so it's great that I'll be working with him. What are your priorities going to be? Well, I think right now the most critical thing, obviously, is that we um, deal with this awful coronavirus and that we, particularly from the economic point of view, that we provide people and businesses with the support that they desperately need right now. So that's going to be my priority. I've already contacted the Chancellor Rishi Sunak to say, look, let's let's meet virtually, of course, um, and talk about the existing schemes um, and where we might be able to make changes to ensure that more people are protected because I'm very well aware that there, there are lots and lots of people who are struggling right now. The government announced the package last week for businesses. How are you feeling about that then? Were you pleased with what they'd pledged? So I, I was pleased that the government came forward with that kind of salary filling scheme, the so-called furlough scheme, where businesses can get up to 80% of the salary of existing employees covered by government. Um, it's absolutely right that they put that into place and we were arguing for that for really some time, as were trade unions and businesses themselves. It's good that that's been put into place. We now really need to make sure that businesses actually take up that option where it's all possible, because I've heard of quite large numbers of people already being laid off and not actually being furloughed, so people not being put onto that scheme when they could have been. Um, Also, of course, we've had that scheme announced for self-employed people. Now, that was definitely required, and we've got pretty large numbers of self-employed people in the UK. Um, Lots and lots of people are classified as self-employed in our country who would be ordinary employees in other countries. Um, Now, the scheme uh, doesn't cover quite a large number of self-employed people. Now, that that is a big challenge. I accept it's a big challenge to get a scheme that that will cover uh, sufficient people. Um, But obviously, for those who don't fall within the self-employed scheme, many of them are being pushed on to universal credit and there are very, very significant problems with universal credit which are really being kind of thrown into relief as part of this crisis. Um, So certainly I'll be trying to work with the Chancellor to try and make sure that we get changes, especially to try and ensure that, you know, people who get pushed on to universal credit, that they can get support quickly because so many people are really worried about how they're going to be paying the next bill how they're going to be paying their rent. They need to have that backing there now. So who doesn't it cover? 
So, um, well, in terms of the self-employed scheme, um, people need to have been in self-employment for some time and to have a 2018-19 tax return in order to be covered by the scheme. Um, there's quite a lot of people as well who might have been both self-employed and employed as well. So they have a mixture. Now, unless they can prove that more than 50% of their income has come from self-employment, they're not going to qualify for the scheme. Um, so there are those kind of categories of people, also other types of self-employment that are kind of not the norm, but there's still quite a lot of people who fall into those categories. They're not covered by this self-employed scheme. Now, there are other form, forms of business support that government's announced. There's the loan scheme. There's also the grant scheme. But quite often we find for self-employed people that they might not benefit from those either because, for example, they're not paying business rates on any business property. So we really need to make sure that that support there because if at all possible, if we can keep businesses going, that will help us to climb out of this crisis more quickly. Oxford East MP Annalise Dodds there, Labour's new shadow chancellor. Now, the UK lockdown has seen calls and online requests to the National Domestic Abuse Helpline rise by a quarter. But the lockdown doesn't mean that domestic abuse support services have shut their doors in Oxford. We spoke to councillor Louise Upton to find out more. Domestic violence is always with us. It's, you know, it affects rich and poor people from all backgrounds, races, classes, immigration status, all the time. But right now... Um, these very strange times. Lots of people are stressed in different ways. Some people have got no work. Some people have got too much work. And although it's okay to be stressed, that's, that's normal. But taking it out on people around you is not okay. Um, and we've seen, I think, the, yeah, the National Charities reported that on, on Saturday that they had 65% more calls to the domestic abuse helpline than normal. And uh, there was a lot of evidence came out of China as well, out of Wuhan, I think, during the restrictions that there was a big increase in domestic abuse. We want anyone who is suffering abuse or violence at home to know that you know, across Oxfordshire, there are organisations who are continuing to provide support uh, during this time. No one has to put up with it. It's not your fault. Um, and I think crucially, what I wanted to make the point that if you feel that you're in danger and you need to get out of your house, you can. These are the movement restrictions that are in place because of the virus. They don't stop you leaving the house if you're trying to get help or if you think that you're in danger. There's a confusion for some at the moment, isn't there, around the rules and what you can and can't do. Um, but this mm. is quite clear, isn't it? If you're being abused at home, you should leave if you want to get help. You're absolutely right. It's clear. If, if, you are, if you feel a danger at home, if you are being abused at home, you have every right to get out. You must get out walk out and go and get help. And I think in the, you know, in the period now, if you feel you're at risk of it, get something set up, get a safe, a code word set up with a friend or someone you trust so that you have a way of letting them know if you think you're in danger and you want them to call the police. That's a really good idea, actually. I like the idea of a code word. What do you think it is as well in your experience for people that maybe don't pick up the phone and call police? Not just necessarily at the moment during the lockdown, but what is it do you think that's often holding them back? Well, I guess sometimes it's literally the fear that they might be overheard making the call. So again, that's something, a really interesting thing that I've learned recently. If you call 999, but you can't speak, if you then press 55 you will get transferred to an officer who can help you without you having to speak. So there is a way that you can call safely. You know, if, if you really have been terrified, if you're really under 
coercive control, if, you, if you're worried about the safety of your children, if you think your partner might hurt your children if you do something, that, that can stop you. But people need to know that there are the Oxfordshire Domestic Abuse Service, for example, can, can support you, can help you plan how to be safe. It will find you a refuge, a safe place to stay. And while you work out what you're going to do and how to go forward, the City Council, we have got our handyman is on standby in case you need your locks changing. So if you've had a, a violent perpetrator who's now out of the house, but you don't feel safe at home, you can have, we can make your house safe for you. In this situation where they may be also suddenly forced to spend a lot more time with their partner, things potentially getting very stressful, what would your message be to anyone that's maybe worried that it could lead to some sort of verbal or physical abuse? Well, you're right. At times where in a situation like this, things might boil over that wouldn't otherwise. If you if you can see things are you know, starting to, to spin out of control in the house, get help early. If you get the right support... Everyone in the house can, can recover and go on to have healthy future relationships. I mean, the, the perpetrator needs help too. You know, they need to learn ways to manage their behaviour. But there is support for everybody in the situation. If you think you may be a victim of domestic abuse and need emotional and practical support, you can get hold of the Oxfordshire Domestic Abuse Service on 0800 731 0055. Now to a company based in Woodstock, which is helping equip those on the front line of the fight against COVID-19. Owen Mumford is a company that makes medical equipment and has recently sent over 10 million finger-pricking devices to the new Nightingale Hospital in East London. I spoke to their managing director, Giles Servan. Owen Mumford's been around since 1952 as a private company established by Mr Owen and Mr Mumford back in the day. Uh, Today, we are manufacturers of medical devices, which are used throughout the world. 85% 85% of what we manufacture in Oxfordshire is exported. Uh, and at the moment, of course, our focus is very much on considering what we can do to contribute to the COVID-19 crisis that we're experiencing in the UK. So the NHS is very much our focus. And I understand that you've, uh, you've been manufacturing finger-pricking devices. What are they and how many have you guys made? Uh, so for many years, we've been making... Uh, capillary blood sampling devices, finger prickers if you like, uh, primarily geared towards the diabetic community who often have to measure the glucose in the blood on a daily basis and sometimes several times a day. So to prick your finger every day uh, is really what uh, we are able to, to help people do. We invented the world's first automatic finger pricker way back in the 70s and have been producing them ever since. Mm, I understand you've been making them for the uh, Nightingale Hospital, the newly opened one in East London. We recently received an order for uh, an extraordinary order from the NHS of uh, 10 million devices, and we were able to turn that round within a few weeks. And uh, I am eternally grateful to the commitment that our staff are showing to being on site and making sure that our finger pricking devices continue to be delivered to the NHS throughout the country, and in particular now to these special hospitals, such as the Nightingale Hospitals, which are springing up not only in London, but apparently also in in Glasgow, Manchester and elsewhere. What does it mean to you to be able to play such a, to provide so much equipment and play such a substantial role in the, in the frontline fight of this? Well, Earl Mumford has very much been at the forefront of innovation in medical devices for many years. And we're very, very proud of our history and being able to consistently supply not only the NHS, but health services throughout the world. We have an incredible team. We have over 60 people in research and development constantly looking for new ways to improve the health of people around the world and the safety for healthcare professionals, which is a very 
very topical point right now. So uh, the finger prickers are currently made primarily in Woodstock, but we also have uh, factories abroad. We have a, a large factory in Malaysia that also makes them. And we also have a factory in Chipping Norton where we make pen needles for insulin pens, for example, and many other devices such as auto injectors and, and, and pens. So we have several factories around the place. We work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, producing these finger pricking devices and pen needles uh, in our factories, both in Chipping Norton and Woodstock. And to that end, I am incredibly proud and humbled by, by the commitment by our workforce. Giles serving there on how a local company is helping in the fight against coronavirus. Throughout the crisis, there's been loads of charities and groups getting together to help people out. Down in South Oxfordshire, Ray Collins from the Ray Collins Charitable Trust has been mobilising his army of volunteers to help people, especially the elderly and vulnerable, put food on their tables. We spoke to him to find out more. We're doing a Meals on Wheels scheme. So we've got a local caterer. Um, obviously, her kind of year had been decimated um, with this. Uh, she's making meals for us, um, which we are selling to the public, uh, mainly, again, local elderly vulnerable people and families um, if they're in need. They're, um, we're not making any profit on any of this. It's, we, in fact, we're um, pay, covering the credit card costs. All of our transactions will be done by card. Um, so we're paying the 3% charge on that and we're delivering the meals for free as well. We've got, we've got nearly 100, in fact, just over 100 volunteers signed up um, they filled out our forms, and and so I think you know, the meals and wheels is what we're going to be concentrating on and helping perhaps people that um, financially are really struggling. We've, we've helped two families in crisis already this this week. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, where um, one of the fridge freezer failed and they lost all their food. Well, what's happening is terrible. So we replaced the fridge freezer and filled it full of food, and then another family that um, basically just didn't have any money left to put food on the table. So we went and did a big shop for them and delivered all of that. So, you know, the meals are chargeable, but if someone is really struggling, the trust, backed by the councils, will subsidise them and even do them for free if needed. Obviously, we've spoken before about the work that you've been doing around sort of Christmas meals and, and helping yeah. elderly and vulnerable people in isolation. Um, this is an unexpected, uh, dramatic crisis. What What is the mood like within that community uh, reacting to this crisis? Well, so far, I'd say there's a lot of very scared, particularly elderly people, um, because obviously it's affecting that age group the worst. Um, so people are very conscious of when you come to their door that you keep your distance, you've got gloves, you've got masks, um, you know, they don't want too much contact. And so that obviously we're trying to obey all the rules as, as strictly as we can. Um, I think the other side of it is you're seeing the best of people, you know, everybody's coming together. There's loads of support uh, and, it, and it's really blown me away. You know, the amount of support that people are setting up themselves, going out, helping their neighbours, you know, helping their street helping other families. I think it's brought out the best in a lot of people. You know, there's going to be some dark times ahead for a lot of families, which is a real shame. And, you know, your heart goes out to every one of those. Um, you know, I lost my mum before Christmas and it's, um, it's a terrible feeling. And to have someone snatched away is, is makes it even worse. So, you know, we want to try and be there, do, do what we can, do as much as we can. Um, you know, um, and just try and be there for as many as we can. Um, but we've got to stick together. I think that's the main thing. We all stick together. Um, you know, we can do some good and we'll all come out of it together. And I think it'll, it'll build a much stronger community around here. I think, 
it's united the, the community and probably the country again after the last couple of years. So um, hopefully some good eventually will come out of it. Ray Collins there, him and his volunteers are helping people in Wantage and the surrounding villages. For some people, faith has been a crucial part of dealing with the coronavirus outbreak, but with churches across religion shutting their doors as part of social distancing measures, people have been unable to attend services. Like so many of the issues social distancing has caused, technology could provide the answer. Here's the Dean of Christchurch Cathedral, the very Reverend Professor Martin Percy, with more info on what they're planning to do at the cathedral for services over Easter. These services have had to go online, uh, basically because with the lockdown that the country's now in and all the uh, churches being uh, shut for public worship, what churches have now done is move their services online with some a mixture of live streaming and pre-recording. And one of the interesting things about this is that this is actually reaching um, a great many more people than it would do if people were sort of turning up on the church door, so to speak. Interesting. With that in mind, do you think it might be something that once this is all passed, might become a more regular thing? I would have thought so. I don't think that live streaming and recorded services will replace going to church because it's a fundamentally communal activity and people belong together. We're, you know, we're all social creatures and people like to be together for church. But I think as our society gets older and interestingly more remote and more used to working remotely, I'm thinking particularly of people who may not be able to travel even after COVID-19 is is all over uh, in residential and care homes or uh, for other reasons just can't get to where they want to worship. There is something very comforting, I think, about people being able to uh, effectively tune in, much as they might do on the radio, but this time on the internet to their own church. Is there an air of personal sadness that you won't be able to hold the service as you normally would? There is. I think there's no doubt that for anybody who's a minister in church, uh, for anybody who's part of a congregation, for anybody who would normally go to church on Good Friday or Easter Sunday, uh, who would have already missed Mothering Sunday and other, other kind of occasions like this where they're used to flowers and celebration and festivity much else besides. Uh, It's not the same, I think, doing this in the comfort of your own home. It's quite hard to have a party on your own uh, or with just a few people. In the same way, it's very hard to have an Easter celebration on your own with just a few people. Just finally from me, how important a role does religion have to play in getting people through this crisis? It's got an enormously important role because um, religion uh, is uh, sustaining people in their daily lives. Um, Whatever faith you are, it'll be about faith and hope and love and charity. It's about obligations and duties towards one's neighbors, independent of how you feel. It's about setting your heart and mind on better things to come. So it's not just optimism. It's genuinely hopeful about what might come as a result of this. So I think those who have faith at the moment, um, although like any other person, uh, we of course carry our fears and our hurts and our losses. The amazing thing I think about folk with faith is that they are strengthened in that uh, daily resolve, that daily belief that uh, the hand of God is somehow holding them. And not just them, but actually holding entire communities 
counties, nations, worlds, that God cares and God is with us in this. Now a chance for you to help those on the NHS frontline. Oxford Health are asking for people to donate things like coffee and energy bars to go into care packs to help staff morale. Joe Somerville spoke to Kerry Rogers, their Director of Corporate Affairs. We include in many of those packs things like sort of hand and face creams and energy bars and speciality treats and some of the things that might help um, the day be a bit more comfortable given that the, many of them are, uh, are donning sort of PPE, so your protective equipment day in, day out. So the things that make uh, life a little bit more comfortable for them. And we, we recognise sort of the immense pressures that our staff are working under and the sacrifices that they're making day in, day out and the dedication that they demonstrate. The heroes on the front line who we salute every day will um, have a morale boost from the contents of these care packages. And what are some of the staff at Oxford Health saying about the kind of recognition they're getting at the moment? Because obviously we've also got this weekly clap for our carers. There's lots of different things going on, I suppose, to, to show them that, that we're thinking about them and that we care. And I just wondered how they're feeling about it because they might not be used to that kind of attention. I don't think um, as an NHS organisation that we are used to so much positive attention. I think one of the positives that's come out of this dreadful situation for the country is the recognition of the NHS and its hardworking and dedicated staff who are putting themselves on the front line day in and day out. So I think the the Thursday evening clap is very much welcomed by the NHS in its entirety and in particular at Oxford Health Foundation Trust. We feel the love from the public absolutely. Good. And can you tell me a bit about some of the sort of personal sacrifices that some of the staff are making at the moment so that they can dedicate themselves to fighting coronavirus? I know we've heard stories of some people having to potentially sort of live away from their families just to make sure that they stay safe and and healthy. Yes, we've got lots of things like that going on. We've got special arrangements for transport. We've got special arrangements for accommodation where people need to be isolated from their families but still wanting to work. We've got a technological response to all of this, which has been phenomenal in the short time that we've been dealing with it, given that many people need and want to work and so are working remotely with enhanced technology as best we're able to provide for them. We've got people whose jobs can't continue because of whatever reason um, as a result of of the impact of the virus but then they're coming in for redeployment opportunities and you'll have seen and have probably helped us very much with the promotion the volunteers that we've had coming back uh, to work for the organization the response internally and externally has been absolutely phenomenal and it keeps the NHS going day in day out. Just finally remind us who you are asking to help what it is that you need and how they get in touch. So we want help from businesses, from members of the public, anybody who wants to help make a difference to our teams working tirelessly to keep the NHS going day in, day out. Um, As I say, it can be any kind of of donation, any kind of idea, but if people want to email me at oxfordhealth.nhs.uk, if they want to help in any way, then we'd be delighted to hear from them. Any kind of donation, whether it be speciality tea, coffees, creams, anything that's going to brighten a person's day who are working day in, day out to support continuation of the NHS. We would be delighted to receive it. 
Now, how else to finish but with a few cocktails? Mateus and Caitlin are the founders of Bearded Viking Drinks and they're applying for permission to offer some relief to people in isolation in Oxford with their ready-made cocktail delivery service. Emma Kerwin spoke to them to find out more. When we were sort of studying in Australia, we both worked in um, craft beer bars and we had a lot of exposure um, to really high-quality cocktails through that. And when we moved to Oxford, we sort of amassed this alcohol collection because we just really enjoy sort of exploring new flavours and trying new things. Um, And we both obviously really like cocktails, but we're always just missing like that one ingredient um, to make the bar-style cocktails at home. And we kind of realised that if we're having this frustration, then other people must be having this frustration too. So then we were like, well, why don't we try bottling it? Um, and, you know, seeing if they keep, if they still taste as good, like after a few days or a few weeks in the bottles, and it turns out they do. So so it just kind of escalated from there, I guess. What do the glass bottles look like? Um, they're like 100ml sort of hip flask-shaped bottles. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, shaped like a small hip flask. Obviously, we are in a difficult uh, time at the moment, obviously with coronavirus. Did that kind of spur you on at all or giving you any Um, concerns about the service? Yeah, so I wish we could say that this is in a response to the virus, but actually we've been setting this up for about six months now. So we both sort of work full time on sort of, I guess we're doing this on the side of working full time, but we work full time on the side of this. Um, So yeah, obviously online delivery of anything is a lot more popular now and I think that will probably continue after this so in a way unfortunately it might actually be kind of good for us but the flip side of that is our our supply chain has been kind of kind of hit a bit sort of sourcing you know some of the some of the alcohol has been a bit trickier getting bottles and we haven't heard from our label printing service for a little while because again we're trying to stick with other smaller businesses and I think you know their their supply chain has been hit as well so I guess it's kind of swings and roundabouts I guess um but yeah I think as well because we're doing some something kind of new and it will be delivery we've had a lot a lot more interest than we anticipated when we kind of went live with this so it's been really exciting for us and it's definitely sort of keeping our mood up as we're not allowed out of the house and everything so yeah so yeah a bit of a mixed bag but we're going to try and make the best of it and when are you looking to actually get this up and running? Um, so at the moment, our uh, license application is with the the Oxford City Council. Um, and I suppose once that's through, which will probably take another couple of weeks or so, then we can start selling. So hopefully sometime early May, we're, we're, we're aiming for, uh, provided that we don't uh, run into more supply chain issues. I just wondered what would happen then if this if you do encounter other problems like those during the pandemic, once you're actually up and running? Well, we'll probably have to uh, change our ways a bit. Um, we have had to be quite uh, inventive with the way that we're handling the situation at the moment. Um, sort of all of our marketing is done. We're basically printing labels off our home printer and cutting it out and sticking it onto our bottles just to get some nice photos taken. Um, and in terms of uh, the sort of supplies that we're using, uh, fortunately, most alcohols are sort of relatively interchangeable. Um, so we can keep uh, 
making the same product if it's just a problem with sourcing actual alcohol. Um, in terms of getting the bottles and things, it might be slightly trickier. Um, so we're just kind of hoping that at least somewhere there'll be a warehouse that stocks flasks and, uh, and our printing company will be able to give us the labels that we're looking for. Right, that's it from us for now. From everyone here at Jack, we hope you have a cracking bank holiday weekend and that you stay safe and keep those hands clean. We'll have another podcast for you ready next week in a bit.